in uh, Malachi chapter 3, verses um, 6 to 12. Malachi 3, verses 6 to 12. And it starts by saying this in verses 6 and the first part of verse 7. It says, I, the Lord, do not change. That's good news. We have an unchanging God, right? I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, so the the nation of Israel, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. (laughs) In other words, if I was a changing God, you'd be in trouble. If I had bad days, you'd be in trouble, right? But he's saying, because I don't change, you aren't destroyed, right? Um, Ever since, it goes on, ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. God's covenant faithfulness is built on his unchanging nature. Yahweh is, he's in this passage, he's speaking to, um, to how different he is, Yahweh, the true and living God, how different he is than the false gods of the nations around Israel that they had fallen into worshiping again and again in their, at this point, 1,000-year history. Israel's been around as a nation for a 1,000 years, and again and again over that 1,000 years, they have fallen into worshiping the gods of the nations around them. And these other gods, as we look back on even the, the, uh, uh, the literature that we have from, from those other nations describing their gods, describing the things that they would need to do, to please those gods, those other gods were fickle and moody and their religions were ruled by fear. They would, the nations, um, the nations didn't dare stray from fulfilling the religious expectations of their gods out of fear that the chaos of the universe would be unleashed on them. Okay? So they they had to please the God of the sky so that rain would be be given to them for the the land. They had to please the God of fertility so that crops would be produced. They had to please the God of the waters and the oceans so that their ships would not be destroyed. And on and on it went. And so Yahweh says to Israel, to Judah, that they should have been destroyed long ago if he was like these other gods. But he's not like those false gods. His faithfulness to Israel is not based on their faithfulness to him, but on his character on his commitment to his promises. That is good news for us, folks. 
that God's faithfulness, his covenant faithfulness to you and I is not based on your and my perfection, your and my, uh, you know, keeping a list of rules. It's based on his character and his promise-keeping nature, right? Now, this isn't to say that we can live however we want and God's okay with it. That's not what he's saying. But it's to say that no matter how we stray from God, he is always waiting to bring us back into his embrace if we repent and return to him. And in this verse that we read, it says, return to me and I will return to you. Repentance is the key. That's a big, scary sounding word, repentance, but it simply means turn back to God. Stop running your own way and turn back to him. And he is right there. Right? We can go a thousand miles in our own direction running away from God. And the beautiful truth is we don't have to crawl back a thousand miles to get back to him. When we turn around, he's right there waiting to welcome us back. So the passage goes on. God, again, in his dialogue in Malachi, this back and forth, anticipating their questions. And so God says, so you ask, how are we to return? What does returning look like? What does repentance look like? What does covenant faithfulness look like for those who want to walk with God? And God's shocking response to that question, how are we to return? He says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? God's response, in tithes and offerings. He says, you, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. So yes, today we're talking about tithing and stewarding our personal finances, because that's what we, where we find ourselves in the book of Malachi. This is, a, this is always a touchy subject for people. But even though the Bible talks a lot about this area of our lives. In fact, Jesus talked about money and finances just about more than anything else that he talked about. Which seems strange, right? But not if we understand that, that it's an indicator of the, the status of our heart. So why is it a touchy subject? Actually, Don, I meant to, I meant to get to you, and I, I'm, I know you'll forgive me. Um, I meant to get to you and let you know that I was going to uh, mention a conversation that, that we'd been a part of a couple weeks ago. Um, but I, I just want to give him the credit for, for the way he put this, because I think it was really, really great. He said something like this. You can throw something at me if I say it wrong. 
all right? Um, that our most precious resource in our lives, the most precious resource we have is our time. Our time is the one thing that once we spend it, we'll never get it back again, right? And every moment that we have to breathe on this, in this world is precious to us. And our money is often a symbol of our time. The hours of our lives that we have spent working hour after hour, week in, week out, in one way or another, we exchange our lives and our time for this thing called money. Right? Dollars. And we often cherish our money to some extent because it represents our time and it represents our lives. It's, it, it is precious to us for that reason. Um, and therefore, sometimes we can, come, we can become quite attached to this commodity that we call money. And we may say it's, you know, it's only money and you, you can't take it with you and, 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 you know, things like that. But, and while these things are true, it's still true that, that our value of money is tied up with the value that we place on our lives and our time. But that makes it even more important for us to consider what we spend our money on as an indicator of what we value most. Am I doing okay, Don? All right, thanks, man. So Jesus said that how we spend our money is a window into the allegiance of our hearts. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so, how we spend our time, our talent, our abilities, our skills, and our treasure, how we spend those things in our lives is an indicator of what we value. Make sense? Okay. So, want us to, for a moment, um, take a look at the Old Testament context of tithing. When we say tithing, and God talks in Malachi about tithing in the last book of the Old Testament, what is he talking about? What's he referring to? So, many of us have heard many messages on that, and for some of us, it's brand new. So, we're just going to I don't want to insult anyone's intelligence, but we're going to dive into what is, in the Old Testament context, what is tithing? And then in the New Testament context, what do we do with that? Okay? So, <clears throat> yeah, we don't have time for that. Okay. Um, Old, Testament con Old Testament context. God, God in the Old Testament, particularly, particularly starting with with Abraham and then at Mount Sinai God claimed Israel the nation of Israel as his possession he claimed Israel as his possession and as his as their king he claimed ownership of all people animals land produce everything it's all God's. It's all, they are his nation. They belong to him, right? 
Um, and as a sign of his promise, God's promise to care for them, and as a sign of their promise of fealty or obedience to him as their king, okay, um, God commanded that a tithe, and that word literally means tenth. So Hebrew, it's, it comes from Hebrew that means tenth. A, a tenth of their annual revenue belonged to him. It wasn't something they, they, they generously gave to God. They just returned it to him because it was his. He said, the tithe is mine, right? Um, and so they got to live off of 90% of all that God blessed them with, and they gave God a tenth, gave back to him a tenth. This was a very important covenant connector between God and his people, that they would obey him in the tithe, and that would be a connector, their heart to his. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, right? So from, from the people's side, this agreement was a, a declaration of God as king. God, you are my king, so I will give you the tithe that, that belongs to you. It was secondly a declaration of gratitude. God, thank you for providing everything that we get to enjoy in our family, in our home, in our lives, in our nation, everything. We just return this one-tenth to you to say thank you. Thank you. And thirdly, it was a declaration of faith in God's provision. The idea isn't that they would save the tithe for the end and they would pay it if they had anything left over after the other bills were paid. But it says this in Proverbs 3.9, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. So in other words, the first bill that they were to pay was to God. And in doing that, they're saying, God, we're giving you a tenth right off the top because we're declaring that we trust you to, 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 to provide everything else that we need. You are our provider. Folks, your employer is not your provider. The government of Canada is not your provider. Mr. Visa is not your provider. Your heavenly father is your provider, right? And so this is declaring, God, you are my provider. You will take care of the rest. From, so that's from the people's side. From God's side, the tithe was the way that he took care of funding and resourcing the spiritual ministry of his people. If, if, we read, if we took the time to read all the verses, we would discover that the tithe actually paid the salary for all of the Levites who did ministry in the temple, in the tabernacle. It, it cared for them and their families. And on top of that, it took care of all the poor, the orphans, the widows, and so all of the spiritual ministry that took place in Israel was funded and provided for by the tithe, right? 
So, so from God's side, that was a big part of the reason why they tithed, but also it was a way that God knew that he could trust his people with more blessings. If they were going to put him first, then he would care for their needs with abundance. If they were going to be obedient with the 10%, then they were probably going to honor God with the way that they spent the other 90% because they're putting God first, right? So Leviticus 27, verse 30 and 32 says this, now all of the tithe of the land, all of the tenth of the land, all of the tithe of the land, of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. For every tenth part of the herd or flock, whatever passes under the rod, so as they're counting their sheep, hopefully they don't fall asleep on the job. That was a bad joke. Um, as they're counting their sheep, every tenth animal belonged to the Lord. Right? So one-tenth of all of a family's produce or revenue belonged to God in the covenant that God had made with Israel. And it was a declaration of their, on their part that God was their king. Okay, skip over some stuff there. Okay, New Testament context for tithing. So, so over the years, um, coming up, Two, year, two months away from uh, 30 years in pastoral ministry. Um, and 30 years married to this amazing lady, too. So, yeah. <laughs> um, anyways, so I've heard many, many times people say the New Testament doesn't mention tithing specifically. And many will therefore say God doesn't command tithing in the New Testament. That it's one of those Old Testament laws that was really just for the Jewish people. Now I would suggest to you that the New Testament, first of all, is still mostly a Jewish book written to Jewish followers of Jesus who were more familiar, more than familiar, very familiar with the principle of tithing and that tithing was was a given for that culture that just really didn't need to be repeated. Okay, that's, that's the first thing I'll suggest to you. Um, there, isn't, there isn't much in the New Testament as far as instruction in worship, and yet we worship. Because there was much instruction about it in the, New, in the Old Testament, and it was... It was what the people of God did. It was assumed we're going to worship, right? And so there didn't need to be a lot of instruction about it. It was assumed we would continue doing it. In Matthew 23, verse 23, Jesus says, uh, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. 
you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Right? So Jesus is saying, the Pharisees, here they are. They get the, they get the, the spices out of their garden and they're counting off every, every seed of cumin. Ten, okay. Ten, okay. And they're counting every seed of cumin. They're counting every little bit of spice to, because they're checking their boxes. That's what, that's what Pharisees did is they checked boxes. Am I doing everything I'm supposed to do? Oh, you know, I, I prayed three times today. Oh, I, I gave my tithe today, right? That's what Pharisees do. And Jesus said, you're so meticulous about checking your boxes, but you've ignored the matter of your own heart. He said, you should have you should, have, you should have taken care of your heart. And as the fruit of your heart, do your tithes. Not checking your boxes. Right? I would say the early church very much, very much understood. If you remember our three things about tithing. Declaring God as king. Declaring gratefulness and declaring his provision i would say the early the early church very much understood jesus as king no question the the biggest declaration in the early church was jesus is lord he's king um the early church was more than grateful so grateful for everything that jesus did on the cross for them that he poured out his life for them and and that, uh, and that they trusted in his provision in their lives. And because of that, the early, we see the early church not just giving a tithe, but giving everything. Giving everything. The book of Acts church was marked by radical generosity to the point where they pooled all of their possessions and all of their resources and they supplied to anyone who had need those and we're told that those who owned excess property would sell the property and bring the money and put it at the apostles feet to take care of the poor the early church had left tithing so far behind that it was child's play compared to the generosity and the radical generosity that they lived out in their lives Jesus spoke of generosity being one of the key principles of the kingdom of God. He said, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use to give, it will be measured to you. So what that's, what that's saying is contrary to the way that we would think in this, in this world, if we want to be ahead financially, we better hang on to it all. We better hoard it. We better keep it. We better stuff it in our mattress. We better not give any of it away. But God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. And as we are generous and as we give, that unlocks blessing in our lives where God trusts us with more. 
No, tithing is not specifically commanded in the New Testament. But a heart of generosity and giving that flows from gratitude was assumed to be the sign of a changed heart. From the example of the church in Acts, tithing was not the gold standard, it was just the starting place of generosity in the new kingdom. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9, as he's writing to the Corinthian church about he's, he's on his way, he's coming to them, and he's going to take up an offering for the, for, for the church in Jerusalem that's experiencing um, a drought and experiencing difficulty and poverty. And, and, and this is what he writes. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So, so I was recently asked to come to your church do I have to tithe? Do I have to give 10%? Absolutely not. There, nobody's going to look over your shoulder and tell you, you should give more. You're not giving enough. Nobody's going to... This is between you and God. Right? I'm, I'm not going to go ask you for your bank statement and tell you how much you should give. It's between you and God. Right? But with the understanding that if we withhold, we are sowing that. We're sowing withholding, not generosity. And we will reap withholding, not generosity. Right? So it goes on. It says... And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. So be generous and God will pour in. He'll take care of your needs. He will, right? Now he who supplies seed to the sower, now he uses a, a farming metaphor to talk about giving. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will, will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. In other words, when we are generous with what God has given us, then the one who supplies seed will say, there's, there's a farmer, there's a planter I can trust. Look at their generous heart. I'm going to give them more seed so they can sow more generously. We unlock God's blessing because he says, there's someone I can trust with blessing. They're not greedy. They're not selfish. They're not prideful. They're generous. Right? So, <clears throat> Malachi 3 verses 10 to 12, our last, uh, our last section here. 
um, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. So the storehouse was where they would, they, in the Old Testament, where they would, uh, in local, so, so the Levites, who were the, one, the, 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 the tribe who did the work of the temple and the work of the spiritual ministry of the nation, they were spread all over Israel intentionally. God spread them out in six different cities. He wanted them to live all over Israel so that they could be strategically placed where they can do ministry. And each of those cities had a storehouse where people would bring the tithe so that out of that storehouse, ministry could be done and the, and the, the, the Levites could be taken care of. So bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. In other words, so that, so that ministry can happen, right? And thereby... Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and, the, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. So God says, test me. Only place in scripture where he says, test me. In fact, in other places he says, don't, don't test me. <laughs> don't you test me. Right? Some parents have said that to kids in the backseat of their car many times. Don't you test me. But God says, no, test me in this. Test me in this. God tells us he will prove, he will prove himself to us when we are bold in our faith to put him first in our finances. He will provide in supernatural ways when we honor him first. We often, I often hear people say, I don't think I can afford to tithe. Or I don't think I can afford to give more than I'm giving. And in the natural, that would make sense. When we already find we've got too much month at the end of our money, right? Too much month left at the end of our money. We don't see how we could possibly find any money to give to God. But God promises that he will provide when we prioritize him and his kingdom. In Matthew 6, he says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. In other words, prioritize God's kingdom, and he will more than care for our needs. You cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive God. And when we see what God has to say in this last couple verses in our passage today, in, in, in Malachi about tithing, you'll see that, that 
it may not even be that you can't afford to tithe, but maybe that you can't afford not to tithe. First of all, um, God says, when we're extravagant in our giving, He will open heaven. See if I will not open heaven. God promises greater access to the blessing and presence and glory of God in our lives. As we already quoted, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You may have absolutely no interest today in Apple stock. But I guarantee you, if you were to drop $10,000 on Apple Inc. in the stock market, you would be watching every day what that stock is doing. All of a sudden, you would become interested. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And as you invest in a far greater investment, the kingdom of God and His work, by giving your money, your time, your talents, your heart will all of a sudden become captivated with the things of, that God is doing because you have invested in his kingdom. You can tell me that God is your priority, But show me your bank statement and your daily planner and I'll tell you what your actual priorities are. Right? They're shown in how we spend our money, how we spend our time. Notice the position of the windows of heaven over Israel when they are withholding the tithe. They're closed. There is a blockage in their lives of receiving what they want and desire from God because their lives are not actually being spent on Him. And He's being left out of the picture in their actual priorities. But He says, test me. Just, just try it. Just test me. And see if I won't throw those windows open. And there will be an open heaven over your life. Secondly, second thing that he says in this, these verses is that, that we will have so much blessing there will not be enough room to store it. Abundant blessing beyond our need. God promises blessing. And, and not all financial Okay, we're not preaching a prosperity gospel here. This is not a get-rich-quick scheme. Give money to God and He's going to like, you know, He's going to give you good dividends and you're just going to get rich. There are churches that teach that. That's not us. It's a different team. Um, but God promises blessing. The goal is not to be rich. The goal is to be a blessing. 
And in being obedient and being a blessing, God promises to bless you in ways you cannot expect. And in the process, he'll provide for your needs. In our lives, there have been seasons and times when, when you know, ministry has not paid much and it's been hard and it's been difficult. And as we've honored God in the tithe, we have seen God provide in supernatural ways. I remember when I was a youth pastor and we, we were like scraping, scraping the barrel. And, and, and one particular uh, time, we, um, we honestly had no, no groceries in the cupboards. And we sat at the dining room table on a Sunday afternoon with our kids Our oldest daughter was probably three years old, four years old, I don't remember, five, okay, thanks, Ben, about five years old, and we included her in that prayer, and we just prayed, God, we need need breakthrough, we need your provision. We had told no one. We went to Sunday night church, remember when that used to be a thing? We went to Sunday night church came back home and there were literally bags of groceries on our, on our back step, right? I, we found out afterwards where it came from, but, but we hadn't told anyone of our need. We just told God. Around the same time, we had a, an insurance bill that was due. God, we don't know how we're going to pay this. God, you need to, you need to provide. And, and that week, in our mail, from a completely unexpected source, there was a check for the exact dollar figure of that bill that was due. Right? Um, and we have seen God, we've been, given, we've been given like three cars. They weren't great ones, but we were given like three cars. I was given two motorcycles. I mean, God has just, God has blessed us because we've trusted him every step of the way, walked in obedience and generosity. God says, number three, that he will rebuke the devourer. God has said that there was a curse on Israel's finances because they had robbed him, because they'd not made God the Lord of their financial world by honoring him with the tithe. Because of that, they'd given legal ground to the devourer. We're not sure what that means, but, but it seems like there's this spiritual entity that, that had been given legal ground to, to, to rob from them because they'd robbed from God. You ever find sometimes things just break down faster than they should? Money seems to evaporate. You seem to get hit with crazy bills that don't make sense. You know, the enemy does not want you to be blessed. Does not want you to succeed. He's a liar and he's a thief and he's also a legalist. And anywhere he can get legal ground to to get access to rob from you, he will. When we honor God with the tithe, God promises to protect us from the robbery of the enemy in the area of our family finances. He will rebuke the devourer. And lastly, he says that unbelievers, the nations, will call you 
blessed when they see God's blessing in your life. I'm going to ask the, uh, the worship team to come and get ready. I want to I walk you through this really quickly. I want to encourage us today. Again, this is not about compelling anyone to do anything specific. Some of you are in situations. Some of you are in situations where you absolutely cannot tithe. You're married to people who, uh, who are resistant to that, and if you were to do that, you'd be in... Your, your, your marriage would blow up, right? I mean, some of you are in situations where it's just not possible. Um, and you know what? This is not about legalism. It's not about legalism. But what I want to encourage us is that every one of us can grow in generosity. Every one of us can grow in taking a step to, gr to, to, to grow in the area of being a blessing. And, and maybe you're somebody who's just, ne you've never given. It's just not something you've done. You've never given to the Lord by giving in the offering, giving, giving tithes or whatever. You've just never done that. It's okay. But, but why not consider taking a step and just one step would mean just doing it, just, just trying it. Give something. Next time the offering plate goes in front of you, give something. Maybe, maybe you're an occasional giver. You know, you've, you've, you know, once in a while you drop a, drop a five in the offering plate. You, you know, you do something every once in a while, but you've not been intentional, you've not been purposeful in your giving. Maybe the next step for you is to give intentionally, to actually I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to choose to give $10 a week, $20 a week, $5 a week, whatever it is. I'm going to choose to do something to take a step to be intentional. Maybe some of you have given something but you've not you've not taken that step to tithe. And maybe for you, growing in the area of generosity, growing in this area is to say, I'm actually going to test God. I'm going to try it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see what he does when I honor him first with 10% of my income. Try it. I'm just going to try it for a month and see if God doesn't bless me in some way that blows my socks off. Maybe in a month from now we won't need socks. You never know. Maybe, maybe you're a tither. You're giving right at that 10% mark, but, but God is calling you to be abundant and extravagant in your giving and to, to give offerings over and above your tithe. Whatever your step is, I guarantee you that God, God is going to, there's going to be blessing that comes from growing in generosity. And there's going to be, um, God is going to respond by saying, ha, I want to give them some more seed. I want to give them some more seed and see what they do with that. Bless them so they can be a blessing. Let's stand. Folks, 
this is not this is not even though we've been talking about giving and finances and money for over 45 minutes 50 minutes this is not about money it's about our hearts it's about living lives surrendered to Jesus Jesus everything I am everything I have everything in my world is yours belongs to you you are king you are my provider you're all I need so I want us to uh, to respond this morning by just singing the the chorus of this of this hymn I surrender all I surrender all I surrender all all to be my blessed Savior I surrender all one more time I thank you for every person in this room, every person watching online. God, I thank you that you love us. Thank you that your covenant faithfulness doesn't depend on our ability to be perfect or to check all the boxes, but God, it depends on your character, your nature, your faithfulness. And so we thank you, God, today for your love for us. God, I pray for every one of us in this room, every one of us watching online, that God, you would grow us in the area of surrendering our lives to you. Because God, you want a surrendered people to pour out your spirit upon, a surrendered people to send into the world that we would, that we would make surrendered disciples in the world around us. God, I pray that we would have the courage to take a step, whatever that step is, to grow in the area of our generosity. We would see you as a promise-keeping God. Show yourself mighty as our provider. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor, for that good word this morning. And truly, we can't outgive God. Amen. Thank you for coming this morning. And just want to remind you that with God, all things are possible. If you have a need in your life that you would like prayer for, I would encourage you to come at this time. And the Breakthrough team will pray with you. If you have to go at this time, God bless you. And just remind you that there is a worship and